Hey everyone, this is scriptwriter Steve, and today we are talking about weddings. Yes, that's right. Today is Wedding Wednesdays. It's a day I've dedicated completely toward Hawaii weddings specifically. Um, this is a podcast, though. The name of it is called Barbecue to Movies, and I started it about a week ago, maybe about two weeks ago, and with just the intention of talking about, again, anything under the sun, Barbecue to Movies. And then it got let out there. People did their research and they found out that I actually, you know, do weddings and I plan weddings aside from working in the entertainment industry. And uh, so they wanted me to comment more on that. And the more I thought about it was that I could use this vehicle to actually talk to my current customers, my future customers, or just people in general. And I manage a a Facebook group called Hawaii Wedding Information, and there's just tons of brides in there. Uh, some of that who are my clients, some of who are my past clients, uh, many of who will be my future clients. But then we, I also have many who are just from other companies, and they're all chiming in there. It's a really, really great community. So if you want, go on Facebook, add yourself, just search for Hawaii Wedding Information. And you'll find me there and you'll find all of these great brides there who are all in the same boat, planning their wedding in Hawaii and everything was going great. And then COVID hit and then everything, everyone just lost their mind, including myself. I mean, I, I really didn't lose my mind, but uh, it, it's been tough. It's been tough. So today uh, I'm going to talk about, I'm, I have some questions here that I am going to be answering. Uh, there's not many, there's only two that I got off the Hawaii Wedding Information Group. I'll talk a little bit about my experience with the COVID uh, here in Hawaii. And then I'll also explain my little, a little background on how I got into the wedding industry, just to let you know, you know, you know, I'm not no, I'm not a nobody in this. I've been in this for about 20 years. And um, just to make you a lot more comfortable, and then I'll also touch upon some wedding tips. Uh, I have yet to figure out what those wedding tips will be, but I think by the time I finish this podcast, I will organically go into a subject that I think would be pretty cool to talk about. So hold on. Uh, I need to pay the bills. So I just need to pay the bills. So uh, hold on for about a minute. And you'll hear an advertisement, and then we'll come straight back, no interruptions, and go straight into everything. Okay, I am back. Hopefully that wasn't too bad. Uh, I am very new to this whole podcasting thing. I don't have the professional equipment. I'm talking on my cell phone right now, just to let you know. I have one of those ear thing of my jiggies with the wire. So if the audio is not that great, I really apologize in advance. But people have been telling me it's been pretty good. So maybe I can do this with, with the wire from now on. But, you know, who knows? Just who knows? But uh, anyway, well, why don't we get started into my story on how I got into the wedding industry, and then I'll segue into your questions really quick. And I won't make this very long. Trust me, I won't make it very long. I make it very interesting. So uh, when we, we got to backtrack back into 1995, where I was a screenwriter up in California. Well, I was an aspiring screenwriter, uh, but I was a little more than just a regular aspiring screenwriter. I had an agent. I I had I was rubbing elbows with a handful of celebrities, and uh, 
you know, people thought I was pretty talented in telling the story. And I thought I was pretty talented too. And I was learning a lot from my agent. And I had, I was working on, you know, information, not information. I was working on scripts for um, other celebrities who had movie deals. And I'm not going to name names here, but, you know, there, it it was pretty interesting to, to, you know, be in that, I guess, in that, I guess that world, which is much different than what we know out here in the public. Um, But to be in that when you're 19 years old uh, and to be behind that, what they, I guess what they call that velvet rope, and again, being in the green room at all these studios and everything, and you, and you see these celebrities that are on stage and you're kind of writing what you know, they're saying and they're delivering your lines, even though they're, they're lines written by a 19-year-old. Uh, and uh, it was really great. But then at the same time, I wanted to, um, it was very hard to make a living there. Um, making a living as a professional writer uh, even if you have the talent, um, there's only a very, very few who can make, I guess, make a living doing it really, really, you know, I guess, professionally as a profession. Almost every writer I knew lived paycheck to paycheck. And that still, I guess, applies till today. Uh, many of the professional writers who I am friends with, um, they are, they still live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, and I didn't want that for myself. So I started to invest um, everything from stocks to businesses and and everything under the sun. And I viewed, you know, screenwriting more as a side hustle and myself more as an investor. And uh, I remember talking to, oh, shoots. It was, it was a celebrity. I forgot. It was a black guy who was on Deep Space Nine. Forgot his name. Uh, but he told me, you know, the trick in this business is to create passive income. And uh, so I took that to heart. And he, he kind of, he kind of uh, raised this question. He asked me, do you know who are the two wealthiest celebrities in all of Hollywood? And of course I said, you know, is it Tom Cruise? Is it, you know, who is it? Right. And he says, no, it's not even Tom Cruise. These two kids, they're kids and they're the Olsen twins. And he said, they made so much money making these direct to video VHS. Remember they had VHS back then and they made so much money in there. They started a franchise and they became billionaires off of this direct-to-video because they got to keep all of the profits off of the videos that they sold. And I think these, um, they weren't very old back then. I'm not sure how old these Olsen twins were, but they were worth around $250 million to $500 million apiece. Together, $1 billion, and they had a bunch of just a huge franchise of clothing line toys on top of this straight-to-video, I guess, uh, empire. And uh, it was just amazing. So I did the research. And I said, wow, I wanted to make some type of straight-to-video project. And this is, again, when we're doing VHS. So I said, you know, I'm going to get out of the, the, the um, Hollywood uh, because the people there are, to be honest, they're a little shallow in a way. Uh, and a lot of the celebrities who are a lot older, uh, and you they're not the people they play on screen. In fact, they're far from it. They're just really good actors. And not all of them are bad. Uh, in fact, a lot of them are very nice people, but they're just not who you expect them to be. And they're not as intelligent as you expect them to be. So I, I came back to Hawaii and I had this goal of creating, uh, I wanted to create an instructional video just like the Olsen twins. So the, I looked at all the industries and I thought, wow, the, the wedding industry 
is uh, an industry that is, you know, you know, number one, unregulated, and there's just so much fraud and low-quality stuff going on there. I mean, couples were just spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, you know, their life savings, mortgaging houses, um, you know, taking the equity out of their house to spend in one day. It was just amazing to me. And all the vendors in here were just taking them to the bank. And by the way, that still happens today. This isn't just something that happened in the 90s. So uh, I thought, wow, if I can become (laughs) this wedding guru and educate everyone, then I could really, you know, sell a lot of these VHS videos. So, and I could do this direct-to-video thing. So, uh, but I did not know one thing. Again, I'm about, I think about 20 years old back then. And I did, maybe 21. And I did not know one thing about the whole wedding industry. Um, When I came back from California, back to Hawaii, uh, my main thing was like, I'm going to start a production company. And immediately we started doing... uh, uh, commercials all around Waikiki. We did those in hotel room, those cheesy commercials that you saw, that you see when you come there. That in room hotel. Well, we actually held a contract for that whole Waikiki, um, and it produced about half. Uh, there, there are two companies that produced all of the TV commercials, and we we had one half of that, and um, we would produce those. That was really good income, and uh, I, I thought, well. You know, we also we had we had two TV shows going on as well in Japan, and um, and before I get you know too ahead of myself on that one, uh, we also were promoting concerts and then building websites. And again, everyone back in the '90s wanted a website, so we were you know charging pretty good money to build these websites, which technically we didn't know how to do it. And these were like you know people who are <laughs> I I was grouped up with were just friends of mine and uh it was a fun time it was a really really fun time and uh we even got to promoting concerts and uh, but we weren't doing weddings and I and I told my business partners back then well I want to do this instructional wedding video thing you know I I thought it was just I saw so much money in it and um so I took so I, and all of them said well you know we don't know nothing about weddings we know about production but we don't know about you know, the first thing, how to shoot a wedding, how to plan a wedding. And I said, what's well, the same thing as production? It's just happening all in one day and people are just eating after. In fact, most of the time people are eating 50 or 60% of the time. And so we, we um, ended up uh, <laughs> to do the research uh, of, of um, the wedding industry we ended up becoming wedding vendors. And because we offered already photography and video services, uh, we just decided we'll become, um, our, our staff will just become wedding photographers and wedding videographers. So in, um, aside from shooting commercials, again, real estate commercials, commercials for like um, Sports Illustrated, Outback Steakhouse and all these things, uh, we were shooting weddings. We were photographing weddings on the side. And it really wasn't fair to the, the vendors back then because the, the quality gap between us, again, we were creating, you know, again, this really broadcast quality videos for our, um, for, for, this, for, the, for weddings. And uh, we ended up becoming very good at it. And we ended up becoming one of the top vendors in Hawaii at that time. And uh, at that time, the company was called uh, Canoe Girl Productions. And then um, I said, well, you know, everyone was getting kind of confused what Canoe Girl Productions was. It was it a 
production company that created that promoted concerts and built websites or was it a wedding company and we had this pretty you know nice website that we you know wasn't dynamic built at all it was uh all built through old old school html and if you go to canoegirl.com you'll actually see that website still up there and running i just keep it up there for just nostalgia purposes it's the company's dead right now but um but then, uh it, you know we, we we started um doing weddings uh not a lot, maybe two or three, just enough so I could educate myself on how to do weddings. And we got more and more and more. And then at one point, we got we had we ended up having more wedding work than act than 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 production work. And September eleventh happened through I guess in the middle of all of this. So a lot of our concerts are uh, are that where we would get our, most of our income that commercial. That commercial, uh, I guess, income where people would spend money on buying commercials, that just withered away. September 11th changed everything. So we had a nonprofit organization that we ran, uh, that we created and ran, and all of our sponsorship money just disappeared. I mean, it was, it was like overnight when it disappeared. So I, um, the wedding industry, we thought, well, it's still bulletproof. And I made an executive decision to break off the wedding company. And we called it Dream Weddings Hawaii from Canoe Girl Productions. And uh, doing that, a lot of people, you know, again, didn't want to do weddings uh, because they wanted more of the creative stuff. And But I just saw the money in it. And I said, well, I'm, we'll just go this way. And the instructional video, because uh, the, I guess technology was just, I guess, I guess evolving at a lightning pace. Um, I'll tell you a really funny story really quick, like where we are um, with technology. Uh, right, I remember, I think it was 1996 or, or 1998 around there, or maybe early 2000s. I'm not sure what when it was. But we had rented out these, we were hired out to do a beer commercial. And uh, this beer commercial said, well, just tell us what the budget is and uh, we'll, we're going we're gonna to pay for it. So we told them, well, we want to shoot on these these high definition cameras and they were called a F900, Sony F900, FW 900s or something like that. And, and I just really had, I love these cameras because this is where what um, George Lucas was shooting his, his, um, his uh, Phantom Menace, that, that first Star Wars, when he decided to, to make the prequels, that was the first movie. And he shot on these cameras. And I said, I want to shoot the commercial on this. I don't want to shoot on film. Because at back then, everything was being still shot on film. We were shooting our, our weddings on film, and films were, movies were still being shot on film. But this was the first time you could shoot on a digital medium. Oh, that would be, that you could be of film quality. So we rented these uh, cameras from uh, Panavision, and they were just incredible. They're, the body itself, it cost $400,000. It was valued at around hundred dollars to $400,000. The lens on it was about half a million dollars as well. And we rented this, and the, the beer company said, yeah, go ahead. We want that high quality. We'll go for, all for it. And it took me about a minute or two to shoot this commercial uh, because all we had to do was, like, pan the you know the, the camera a certain way and you know, lay the lay the tracks and dolly in on the shot and um they didn't and there's no actors involved it's just a, you know the beer can and uh, we we got the b-roll for them they loved it and uh that camera shot on 720p 720p now where are we today we're at 4k and you can record that on your cell phone and <laughs> that camera back then that 720p camera 
that cost, I think that setup we had with the tripod and everything cost about, about, about close to $2 million with the dolly and everything. Um, and now your cell phone can get better quality and your cell phone only costs $1,000 and you don't need a dolly. You can go handheld and you can walk with it in your hand and uh, the audio probably records a lot better. That's where we are with technology these days. It's just gone full crazy. So uh, anyway, back to the story. Um, I lost a lot of my uh, my creatives, my, I guess my creative geniuses. Uh, luckily, uh, when I when I broke off Dream Wedding Soy from Canoe Girl, and Canoe Girl through some again there were some concerts that didn't make it, you know, um, some TV shows that didn't make it, and that company ended up folding. So I only had Dream Wedding Hawaii, and I didn't have my staff with me. And um, again, I, the instructional video thing was was completely gone. And uh, this was my bread and butter. So I started doing weddings and more weddings, and I would do it was just me in the beginning. And and uh, I, I instead of doing just photo and video, I decided well, I wanted to do the whole wedding planning thing because well, we already knew how to plan. So I said, I'll just plan, I'll start planning weddings. And, and um, yeah, I started planning weddings then. So I do, I do the wedding planning photo on the video. And then I told myself, well, there's so many elements, elements in here that I can't control. I want to have control of them, uh, especially the really important things such as the minister, um, the minister, especially some of the bouquets, um, the weddings music, uh, because those were the main elements that actually, you know, made a wedding. In, in my opinion, it made a wedding. So uh, th those were things that I could control. And it's not as though I had those people on staff, but there were, those were independent contractors who I was very, very close to and who I could, uh, I guess, order around. Don't want to say I ordered around them too much, because, but they still had their creative freedom. But these are people who I could work with creatively. And uh, we just, you know, again, worked in harmony. And we went from doing big weddings, we would do big weddings, the small weddings, we do beach weddings. And just over time, next thing I know, um, this was the way I was making my money. Um, and to date, I, I had uh, made over, I think, uh, well, I had planned over, I think the numbers around 22 or 23,000 weddings. 23,000 weddings, photographed, videoed, and also planned. Small eloping weddings to huge weddings. Uh, now though, um, because I'm at the stage of my career, um, again, and I've been planning these weddings for about 20 plus years of my life. Again, from I'm 43 right now, going on to 44. I started this when I was 20. And I haven't been back in the entertainment industry for a long time, for a very, very long time. I've had calls and I still wrote there, but I did not want to go back into, uh, you know, I didn't want to go back into that movie industry area. I didn't want to go back into the television industry. The, the hours are very long. There's a lot of stress. You're dealing with a lot of fake people, egos. For some reason, I don't know, people like to glamorize the, the, the entertainment industry. It's really not that great. Uh, not as great as people think it is. So what ended up happening is I ended up staying in the, in the, in the wedding industry. And, um, but then COVID happened. And, and, and uh, COVID I guess, turned everyone's world upside down. So now we segue to COVID, right? And, um, you know, 2020 comes around, the early 2020, January, and it looks as though, man, we were, 
we were getting about four to five inquiries a day. Um, almost every single day was going to be booked out with a wedding. It was just going to be incredible. 2020, which was looking really incredible. Um, and then we started to hear COVID was happening over there in China. And then it started spreading. And then when you started hearing reports over happening over in the United States, I think February or so, we started getting nervous. People start stopped booking. Um, and then we said, wow, people are really just, they're just shutting down. But we, were, we had already booked so many weddings in January. And it's crazy, you know? I mean, I'm, so all these people were looking forward to getting married in the summer or March or October because that's when they do their planning. They, they, they start booking, again, either a year or six months out for a wedding. And, uh, and even sometimes even two years out. I have, I have some couples who book me three years out. So, and again, COVID hits and it just throws like a wrench into everything. And, and I know your couples, right? You're listening to me. You know what happened. I'm going through the same stress you, you're going. And this bulletproof industry, it's, it's you know, I thought it's bulletproof, right? And it's gone. I mean, money was just gone. <laughs> you're, you're making a good money all of a sudden in January, then that, that income just disappears. And from March till, oh my God, and even till now, the income for my wedding company has just disappeared almost completely. Um, and uh, it, it hit it hit so many people hard. It, it hit like, uh, I know so many wedding vendors who are doing so well, better than me, and I'm not the number one wedding company in Hawaii. There's, there's a, some wedding companies who are just, wow, they're just really, really wealthy. Um, but I was in the top 10. I was probably seeing the top five. Uh, a lot of them just packed up and left. Um, they couldn't handle it because they, they with, with all the refunds and everything and people just canceling on them. And they had, I worked from my home. Um, they worked, they had an office. And they had employees. I didn't have an employee. I, everything was contracted. For me, I I keep everything everything small and manageable. I do things like how I did in the movie industry. You just work with a small production team, you know, until production day or the production schedule, and then you hire everyone out. And then during those three months in the movies, right, the three to six months that you shoot, then you have a staff of like maybe 200, 300 people. But here, in weddings are the same way. You know, again, you work real small as much as you can, keep the budget low, and then on the wedding day, that's when you hire everyone out. And then on that day, you have the staff to control. Same thing. Same thing, except weddings is one take and a much... It's, it's just a pretty... It's one take and a pretty much a bigger budget, to be honest, when it comes to, like, doing weddings. It's a bigger budget than a lot of, a lot of independent films. Um, so... So that's what, what happened. Um, and uh, right, you know, I know so many vendors, um, some that moved to Florida. One of the top wedding planners that I know um, just booked it and left. They're in California now. My minister, who I used a lot, um, you'll see him. Uh, he's in Minnesota right now. He, he wants to come back, but he's over in Minnesota. He got a place over in Minnesota and he's hanging out, uh, living life over there. Um, the, you know, everything's a lot cheaper there, so it's a lot easier. But uh, yeah, he is. Um, he'll he'll come back when when COVID you know stops and we're ready to go. So I'm in the same boat as you. For all my wedding, you know, my wedding members of my Hawaii wedding information group, my couples who are just you know pulling out your hair, stressing about like, oh my god, my wedding. What am I going to do with my wedding? I'm in the same boat. I mean, I'm really in the same boat. So for me, you know, I took <laughs> I took um. You know, I found myself in the, I think in the summertime, 
I found myself in the bread line. I mean, I had no money. Um, so, and I was living off of savings and that savings is going down, 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 down because there's, you're only paying bills. And, and then I had some of the pandemic relief, which is still not enough to pay bills. Right. So, so I found myself in the red line, in the bread line, waiting with like all these other, like thousands of cars I mean, at the stadium we're, we're we're waiting at the bread line. My own parents are there waiting with me because um, they're, you know, they're retired, but they have no income and they're, but they're giving away free food and it helped. It trust me, it helped. So we got milk and we got bread, literally we got bread, um, all this food and, and I did, did it twice. And part of it, I did it out of desperation because I needed to save as much money as I could. And it was so weird. Like you're in this line and you're you're talking to these other people who are in the line, and I swear, promise to God, like ninety percent of these people I met were all business owners, all business owners, like from all different walks of avenue, and never in their life would they ever have thought they'd be in a bread line. I mean, really, in a bread line. So now, fast forward to the present. Uh, now. The restrictions in Hawaii have lifted. They luckily tourism can come in with, uh, I guess, with they have to be negative. They have to produce a negative COVID test beyond um, before hopping onto the plane. And this COVID test now, this is a very, this is very important. Okay, you're gonna come to Hawaii. You want to get married. You want a vacation or do anything here. Your COVID test that you take, it has to be from an approved COVID test partner. This is all money type of crap because if you take a COVID test, the same COVID test that is uh, listed from a non-partner, it's the same damn COVID test and it's 100% accurate, right? It's as accurate as it could be. They will reject that and you'll have to stay in Hawaii quarantine and they'll even put an armed guard outside your hotel room door. That's how crazy they are. And if you take the one from the ones that they're quote unquote partners, right, partnered with, then you can gallivant around Hawaii. So I, I've listed on um, the Hawaii Wedding Information Group and on my website uh, the partners um, who they are accepting. So make sure you, if you want to come to Hawaii to get married, to use a partner, one of those you know travel partners, trusted partners, quote unquote trusted. They're not better than the other ones. They're just the ones that you know. Hawaii, you know, there, there's something going on there, right? You know, they're for a preferred thing. It's like, it's like in any industry, their quote-unquote preferred vendor has a catch-22 with it where they kind of paid something off, right? That, that's even true for the wedding industry. So uh, this is where we're at right now. This is really where we're at. Now, um, my advice right now for any couple who wants to come here to get married is that you know, be very careful on who you book with. Be extremely careful because every wedding vendor, every wedding, including myself, we're all struggling. We're all struggling. Uh, my, myself to pay the bills. I, I've dipped, I went back into the entertainment industry. So my, so again, I'm you know I may be working on a movie next year. Um, I have some. Uh, I, I have some. I'm working with a podcast company right now, writing stuff for them. Eventually, hopefully that will pan out. 
I'm, I'm doing st- things for all my own creative things to, to create. I'm hoping this maybe this podcast may take off. Maybe it won't, but, you know, again, I'm trying all these different things. I ended up, you know, sharpening paper cutters and knives to pay the bills, which I love to do. And then on top of that, I started selling barbecue on the side. So, you know, it's <laughs> you know, anything to survive. My other minister, and you'll see him, uh, you'll actually, you know, see him in my videos, a really great Hawaiian guy. Um, he's, he's been making wood furniture. And he's been loving it, by the way, because he's really, really good at it. Um, but he's been making wood furniture um, to pay the bills. So everyone's been surviving somehow, but everyone's struggling at the same time. And a lot of these uh, wedding vendors, and I know some, I'm not going to name them, they took down payments and they flat out booked it. They flat out just moved to Cal- moved to California, moved to Florida without even, and they cut all relations off with their with their wedding um, with their clients. The clients were left high and dry, and they came to me. and said, I, "I'll get these phone calls," and they said, "Do you know how to get a hold of hold of this person?" I said, "Why why can't you get a hold of him?" Like so, I try to call their cell phone, and it's disconnected because they didn't pay their bills. Their website is down. It's it's, it's scary stuff. So, um, you know, you know, be very careful on who you book with. Even the big companies that sound good, the bigger they are, the harder they actually fall because they have like a huge overhead. They have a staff. They have, again, you know, they have a, 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 a business place to pay for. They're not like me where I work from my home, you know, so uh, it's a little different. It's a little different. So be very careful. Very, very careful. As for me, uh, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I don't have no mortgage on my property, so I'm pretty lucky. And... Um, and then on, on top of that, I don't have a lot, a lot of bills, you know, not as much as them. So I don't have this huge overhead. I don't have to pay, pay, pay cam or anything like that. It's, uh, it's, it's, um, so I'll be okay. But those other vendors, just be very, very careful on who you book with. Take a look. If, they're, if they look big, then, uh, you know, I would kind of be kind of, kind of, kind of skeptical. Now, um, regarding restaurants in Hawaii, oh, boy. They've been getting hit hard. Um, luau's, um, those luau's, you know, where you have like a hundred people at a luau. Um, I think those are going to go out of business. Uh, they haven't been open since we had a shutdown, and I don't think they will be open. We have these tiers in Hawaii. I mean, I think you have them in um, in in your states as well, like level one, level two, level three, level. So it goes to level four. At level four, at the most. You know the the where lockdowns are going to be at the easy the the most eased rules. There's only a maximum of 25 people that you can have at an event. So the luau's can't survive on just 25 people. They just can't. You know, Paradise Cove, Jermaine's Luau. Um, what is the other one? The one part. Um, the one over the, on on the the North Shore. Oh shoot, I forgot what what the. I forgot that off the top of my head, but you know which one I'm talking about. The one that's run by Mormons, um, that one, uh, that <laughs> they need more than 25 people to operate. It's just that that's just plain fact. And the bars, even then at tier four, that's when they're allowed to open. We're on tier two right now. The bars can't stay closed for that long. They just can't. So how are they going to make their money? Now, again, how are hotels going to make their money with, you know, again, their, their reception ballrooms 
that would, you know, again, have 200 people. We can have 25 in there. It doesn't make any sense. It really, really doesn't make any sense. So a lot of restaurants, I think right now at tier two, they're allowed, they're allowing a 50% um, dine-in capacity. We're not as strict as California or New York where people can't dine in. In, in a lot of restaurants, we can dine in. In fact, right after I finish this, I'm headed over to Chili's and we can dine in Chili's. I'm not sure if you can do a dine-in on yours. And we don't have to dine in outside under a tent, which is stupid because under a tent still inside, right? But um, So we're not as dumb as those guys, but we're still pretty dumb with our lockdown rules. But I don't know how a lot of these restaurants are going out. I mean, I'm seeing major restaurants. I went to Chinatown the other day and there's so many of these Chinese restaurants that are just under. They cannot operate the mathematics of it and with their lease and all their overhead of food and everything, prices going up. They're not made to operate at 50% occupancy. They need to be able to operate at a close to 100%, right? So how are they going to do it? Like Waikiki is so expensive to have a shop in there. So how can the Cheesecake Factory operate with 50% occupancy or just takeouts? It can't. It really can't. It really, really can't. I mean, I, I really have a feeling all these big companies out there, they're just going to be going out of business. I mean, the mathematics say that. Unless they ease the restrictions drastically. And I, I'm hoping that happens next year. All right. And, there's, and even though I sound very negative right now, I am very positive. So I'm going to get into that. When we get back, I just need to take a water break right here, and uh, I promise I'll get back into there, answer your questions. I hope I didn't bore you. I'll be back in a few, and it will just be a second for you, but it's going to be, I'm going to take, take a water break for now, okay? Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for hanging around. Now, for this segment, let me get to your questions that you submitted on the Hawaii Wedding Information site. Okay, my first question is, and I'll read it here, my wedding is June 2021st. Should I be cutting my guest list and by how many? When should I send invites and expect RSVPs? I know that you have no clue what the future holds, but I just have absolutely no idea what to do. 75% of us are from Florida, and this is an expensive flight. So I hate making all of my guests wait so long to book flights when the price is the best I've ever seen right now. Man, that is a good question right here. Uh, first of all, yeah, I have to put a disclaimer here. Uh, this is a, we are in uncharted territory. So everything right now, what I say, uh, take with a grain of salt. And if you disagree with it, you know, disagree with it. Um, this is just me shooting from the hip because this whole year has been me shooting from the hip. But um, I definitely think that you should side on, um, I guess, side on the area of caution. Side on the area of caution. Right now, again, tier four, we only allow 25 people at the most. That's it, 25. So at the best, it will only be 25 people that can attend your wedding in Hawaii. So I'm not sure how big your guest list is right now. But those 25 people, I would say limit it to your 25 close um, family friends and you may have to cut it a little shorter to be honest um, because it this 25 people at these events um, that also includes your minister photographer videographer or any other person even your caterer and your wedding singer and your wedding planner so 
talk to your wedding planner, planner, whoever it is, and find out how many people are going to be there at your wedding on the, on the staff side. And then the difference would be the amount of people you can invite for your wedding in Hawaii. And that right now is what I would say. Invite them, invite those people. So again, if you have five people who are going to be staff, make sure it's, it's going to be a small thing, right? And, um, and, and then invite, I guess, the 20 people who you feel close, who are deserving or can make it down or who want to travel down. Not everyone will want to travel during COVID. Let, let's be very honest with you. Uh, you know, a lot of people just want to stay home. Some, some people just say, you know, they don't want to go to the airport. They don't, they're just completely paranoid. And, uh, and, and they have all the reason to be that way. So uh, that's what my advice right now would be, again, uh, talk to your wedding planner, find out how many staff is going to be coming from their side. And then the difference, that's the amount of people that you invite to your wedding in Hawaii. Now, June 2021, uh, I believe, personally, I, I believe, COVID will be way behind us by then. And uh, why do I believe that? Um, it's because the vaccines and the treatments that are out there right now. And we are going to see numbers come down drastically, just drastically. And I'll get into that after I talk about my second question there. So that, that's a really good segue in there. But that's my advice for you. Now, when should you send out the invites? I would say for those uh, people that you're inviting, again, we're going to say 20, 15, 20 people, However, what is, you know, however you're going to many invite there, it can't be more, it can't be 25, all right? Because we have to have a minister, a photographer, a videographer, something there, right? And, um, but for those people, for those people right there, you send out your RSVPs right now, or you send out your invitations right now. And so they can book right now because the prices, like you said, they're good. Uh, I am a fan of sending out invites very, very early, by the way. For all of my couples, I, I, I tell them there's no difference between save the date and inv invites uh, because when you plan a destination wedding, you get good prices. Some A lot of times, the early, earlier that you book, this is pre-COVID, um, the earlier you book, the prices are always better or at least let them know um, about you know when this will happen, right? So right now, again, make that list, send out your invitations immediately. And, uh, and let them know there's a chance, again, that, um, you know, again, this is the COVID restrictions and all those things, right? So it, things may change. But the odds are we're going to be probably at Tier 4 at that time. At the worst, it'll be Tier 4 and only 25 people can make it, can, can be allowed. At the worst, I believe, okay? That's my opinion. But my true heart and my, what I'm looking at from my, research my compulsive research that i always do and that's from being a screenwriter because when you write you gotta research you gotta research you don't just think up of crap you actually do a lot of research you have to and i've researched so much about this covid thing that um and i'll get into it on the next question but june but uh june twenty twenty first summer next year we should see this should all be a, a horrible memory for us Okay, so there's light at the end of the tunnel, people. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And I think we'll start seeing a little bit of that in, in March or February by the time the Super Bowl rolls around. I think at, there will be people at the Super Bowl. There will be people at the Super Bowl. Okay, it'll be in Florida where the rules are already pretty relaxed. You have the vaccine out and you have the treatments out. Okay, so people will be, wow, you know, 
you know, there will be people, maybe not as crowded, and people will still be kind of, you know, wearing masks and everything, but, you know, you're you're still going to have people who are who are being able to congregate. So when you know you see other states, you know, see allowing people to congregate, and their infection numbers are going lower because of the vaccine and the treatments, um, you know, other states will follow and, and ease more. So uh, we're hopefully going to see the end to this. Okay. All right. Next question. So, um, what do you think the restrictions will look like once vaccines start rolling out? Do you think the tier system will stay in place? Do you think there will be modifications to the tier system? Something like their tier, tier system will still exist, but the, the least restrictive tier might allow more people to attend a wedding. Are vendors included in the group size limit? If the restrictions say we can have 25 people, does that 25 count include two photographers, two videographers, catering staff, a wedding planner, or the vendors in addition to the max limit? Also, besides group limit size, what other restrictions are there for weddings? No dancing, no buffet. Ooh, boy, that is something to talk about here. So again, now we'll focus on one question at a time. Um, so I am not an anti-vaxxer. Now, some of you may actually be anti-vax out there. I'm not one of them. But I do follow the science out here, and I do know that many vaccines don't work, and some people have gotten hurt from some vaccines. Um, vaccines, there are all different types of vaccines out there. So some are good, some are bad, some are effective, and some are not. Okay, so vaccines is a category of medicine. It is not a specific medicine. So we can't say, hey, all drugs are bad because opioids are very addictive and they're bad for you if you take too much of them, right? And, we, and then we can't make an, uh, we can't say because opioids are bad, then all drugs are bad. So we can't say because one vaccine like the flu vaccine doesn't work very well that all vaccines don't work very well. Right. Or this vaccine for the flu got my kids sick. That doesn't mean all vaccines would do that to you. Um, every vaccine is different. And you have to take a look at the science that's behind of it. And right now, even though it seems as though we're rushing because of Operation Warp Speed, it, the, the, the vaccines are just going along this route very quickly because regulations have been eased. A lot of the, the, um, the red tape has been actually cut. And when it comes to drug making, there's just so much red tape. I mean, it is just, and a lot of that is just put there from politicians and money. It just way to actually transfer wealth from drug companies to politicians. And, um, and it's, it's not a good thing. And that's why, and that's, and and it's, it's also another reason why some vaccines like the flu vaccine, which takes before it took two to three years, maybe even longer to approve. So by the time the vaccine rolls out, the, the virus has already mutated. So that's something that we can't have with a COVID vaccine because it is an RNA um, virus, right? So there is a chance of mutation. Right now, it's not. But there is that chance. So we have to roll this out really, really quick. And when you go through, when a vaccine goes through phase one, phase two, phase three, um, as it goes through there, that's all for safety. And those safety measures have not changed at all. So they'll still enroll tens of thousands of people into the phase three um, uh, trial and they will and it has to go through phase three in order to get that emergency use so that's where we are at right now and a lot of these drugs coming out from all these other other companies they've made their made their way through phase three and some of them are going into phase three right now and all of them have passed with flying colors and they're not they're they're very new technologies 
technologies that they're, they're using to create these vaccines. Some of them are old, some of them are new. Um, some of them don't use even a live virus. So, but they do create an immune response. So when you do take it, that immune response, that means you're going to get sick a little. So don't freak out. Um, that happens with some vaccines. Some people will get sick. Some people may get a headache or anything like that because you're getting them. Your, your body is, you're, you're tricking your body into thinking that you have COVID when you actually don't. So you're going to get sick and some require two, um, two, two booster shots, right? Some, re some require just one. And um, right now, so far, there has been no major side effects. The only ones which I read about is, oh, you may have a temperature, a slight fever, may feel a little bit, bit fatigued and have a headache. Just, you just take some headache medicine and you just take a rest for that day, call in sick. Next day, you're good. And then that same thing will happen at, at the, the next booster shot. Then you have antibodies in you. And those antibodies, that means, hey, you know, you're going to be good. You're going to be good to go. Okay. So that's my opinion on it. All right. So they're going to be distributing this. And I'm hearing all different types of things where they'll be distributing this, this, this vaccine. Um, I think primarily, hopefully they'll target the elderly. Um, a lot of times though, you know, from what my, I'm doing my research, um, people who are on the elderly side, their bodies won't produce the vaccines. But a lot of these studies have proven that even the elderly, the way they made it, the elderly um, can produce antibodies with this, which is pretty incredible. Usually, the, you know, it's, it's an immune response. So elderly people who don't have good immune systems, they may not be able to generate that immune response. And they may even be hit harder from, from um, I, I, guess, uh, I guess, some of the, um, the side effects because they don't have a healthy immune system. But... Um, the, you know, we'll have to see what, what they do. I think every state, they're kind of figuring out how it will roll out. Now, what's really, what's really fascinated me about this whole, whole COVID thing was that the news that came out on it um, has not been the most accurate. Um, and science, and, and this is my part talking from a screenwriter, has been fictionalized in a lot of parts of it. So a lot of the things that we heard before that is coming out from the news and even from some, some, some people who are very high up there in the science department, uh, we're finding out that they actually now are wrong. They're wrong. Like, for example, they were preaching that kids, you know, it's very dangerous for kids to go to back to school when there were studies saying that they're not. And these were studies, worldwide studies, like from Sweden, Germany, everywhere, saying that, hey, you know, kids, you know, if kids get it, it's really not that bad. In fact, it's just, it's, <laughs> it's easier for them to, to get rid of the COVID and um, they won't even know they had it. And the, the chances of them passing it on to an adult is almost slim to none, very slim to none. And the, and there's not many people, I think very, I think that not many children have died from it. And the ones who did die from it were undergoing chemotherapy or had cancer or had some type of immune, uh, something wrong with their immune system. So, but the vast majority of kids who got it got better or didn't even know they had it. So, so this, remember that all these, all these scientists were telling, here in America were telling us we can't go to school, can't, the kids can't go to school. And um, well, the news were doing that, even though doctors were saying, and, and other epidemiologists were saying, no, no, no. But that was blacked out in the media because they had a, a, an agenda to push. So right now, what we're hearing right now, before, remember how COVID was going to you know, exponentially just travel everywhere and just multiply exponentially. Well, we're, now we're finding out it's not multiplying exponentially. And also now we're finding out that people up to 50% or even, even more have a natural immunity to COVID. And, and there's, 
and I was saying this from the very beginning, that that um, it was interesting because there was a Diamond Princess cruise ship. Remember that? This was like back when it first started. And there was about 3,000, 4,000 people on top of there. But only 15% of the people there. Now, they're all rubbing elbows in there, right? Eating from the same buffet table. They're all rubbing elbows in there, but only 15% of them got infected. It stopped. Even after quarantine, it stopped spreading after 15%. Why was that? In fact, there were some people who were locked up with their, their spouses, and they didn't get sick. There were many of them that happened. You know, the husband gets sick, the wife doesn't get sick. The wife goes back on an airplane full of just COVID people, and she doesn't even get sick. She never got sick to this day. And they're finding out that because the coronavirus is very common with the common code, I mean, the common code, some common codes are coronaviruses. So you know, SARS-CoV-2 is what they're calling this COVID right here, right? That um, they're finding that if the common code can give immunity to to the coronavirus. So people who have gotten some some uh, versions of the common code are immune. And uh, it, it's, it's not just me talking, trust me, you know, you know, trust me on this. So again, you already have, they're saying you already have in the, in the community, a built-in buffer of 50% immunity. So we're talking 350, 300 million people um, who live in America. Well, 150 million of them may be immune. So you only have to vaccinate 20%. And this is why we're, there's so many areas of the, of the world where you see this 20, you know, as they approach the 20% herd immunity or 20% infection rate of the population being infected, that virus kind of just goes down. It doesn't spread as much. And you're seeing that in Sweden. And again, there, you know, where it also depends on who's getting infected. So what matters more is deaths rather than who's getting infected, right? So in Sweden, the infections are going up, but the old people are not getting infected anymore. So the deaths are almost hovering around zero. Even though they have like a second wave there, they've already managed, you know, how to social distance themselves around old people. Now, just imagine this, if all the old people are vaccinated and the, vac the vaccines actually work, now you don't have to worry about it. Now this death rate goes down real low because the average death rate in America was 85 years old. So, um, yeah, I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, not talking about the weddings here, but the more you know about COVID, the less, you act, the less you'll be nervous. So that's why I'm saying there is light on the end of the horizon here. There's light at the end of the tunnel. And um, so we have that, that and we also have, um, an, um, I guess, uh, uh, synthetic antibodies coming out. Now, synthetic antibodies, this was something I was preaching on Hawaii Wedding Information Group. I preach about it all the time. That um, and I was following a doctor who was one of the many of doctors who are creating it. Um, but what 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 basically synthetic antibodies are are that again they're fake antibodies and you inject it. You can take an IV. Some of them can be injected. They go into your bloodstream and they take away the spikes. You know those coronavirus spikes on it, and they make it smooth as a baby's butt. So that way you have coronavirus in you, but you have these antibodies floating over there that are very, you know, they love, they attach to the coronavirus like a strong magnet or like a grappling hook and they, they attach to the spikes. So then it can't infect anyone. And this is a way so that if you give it to people early on in the treatment, those, that coronavirus won't be able to infect other cells. And literally, literally, it's this easy. You get infected, go to the hospital and get and get these antibodies, you're good to go. You're out of there. And I know a lot of you don't like Donald Trump, but 
you know what? He got this. He got that Regeneron antibodies. He went in there. He wasn't feeling too hot. He got it, and he was feeling so much better the next day. He didn't have a cough. He didn't, didn't do anything. And he's within that age bracket that would, you know, would be the most vulnerable, right? So it worked for him. And then Ben Carson he got COVID and he wasn't feeling too hot. He tried to do a holistic approach and all these things. It didn't work for him. Trump told him, hey, you know, Ben, you better take this. And finally, Ben, who's a doctor, followed Trump's advice. And then he, um, he got better. He, he got better. So, and he got better within a couple of days. So, so this is where we're at right now. We're going to have multiple versions of these, these synthetic antibodies out. So what does that mean, right? Now, synthetic antibodies are pretty interesting um, because once you take it, you're immune for about three, four months. That's how long they live. And then you, then you get rid of it in your bloodstream. Um, some of them may live longer. Now, the question is that does it help you, your own body, you know, create its own antibodies? That's, that they don't know. So are you immune forever or does your body create a T-cell immune response? Because that's also a big thing too, reinfection, right? And, um, and here's the thing. We always talk about reinfection. I think the media is just kind of blowing this up. There are, there are so many millions of people that got infected. I forgot the exact amount. It's going up every single, single day. But it's, uh, it, it's hundreds of millions of people who got infected. But how many people have actually got reinfected? I think the number's up to 25. So when I, t- and, and again, the people who got, you know, infected again and everything or, or, or were infected before, or I mean, the infections, that's a, you know, they're not testing everyone in the world. So you don't know. So that number's a lot higher. But only 25 people, or maybe it's up to 30 now that got reinfected. It is only, only in the double digits. So if you've got COVID, the chances of you getting COVID again is is, is the same chance of getting struck by lightning or winning the lottery <laughs> or winning or winning a million dollars at McDonald's um, Monopoly. That's how, that, that's how low your chances. I mean, so you, immunity is real. And the only people who got reinfected, again, were people who were going through chemotherapy, again, cancer patients, um, who, or people with autoimmune um, deficiencies, People with AIDS, like flat out AIDS, got reinfected because their immune system is that messed up, right? So, and, and they didn't mention that, okay? So again, you know all of this. Now we know that treatments are coming out. We know that vaccines seem to be working. So now you're thinking, okay, now, next year, it should be okay. That's why I'm so positive about it. I'm very, very positive about it. This stuff will go be behind us, okay? So do, do I think that your system will stay in place? I, you know, we have it right now. We have uh, in, um, in Oahu, we have a new mayor who's pro-business. He's anti-lockdown. So I think those, um, there will be modifications made to it and it will ease up because he knows business. I mean, this guy, Rick Blancherini is his name and he is completely pro-business. Our last mayor, he's an idiot. He, is, he just wanted to run for, um, he wanted to run for um, Senate or maybe governor and Everything California did, everything the Democrats did, everything, because he's a big-time Democrat, and I'm not trying to get political here, but everything that they did in California, New York City, he just followed to the T, even though we did not have the, the same thing going on here. Like, um, you know, when they built their, their, um, their hospital over to New York City, they built one over here in Hawaii, when our infections weren't even that bad. So the, the hospital we, we didn't even use, 
you know, that one, but we, we, yeah, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's really, really crazy. So, uh, you know, when, and even before COVID, he wanted to build a rail. So they, you know, this, this, this rail that we have, and now the rail that the rail that we have is, is billions of dollars over budget. And through his lockdowns and everything, we're looking at a budget shortfall right now uh, at the city and county level of $400 million this year. $400 million, and there's no way they can make it up. None. And it's, that's because of this mayor, just like completely ruining our entire economy. So uh, that's why he's not going to be in, in office. Um, he lost. Well, actually, he couldn't run again. And, and hopefully he won't run as governor because he, he was just a disaster, complete disaster. So uh, again, I don't blame, I don't blame Donald Trump for ruining my business. I blame our mayor for shutting everything down. I really, really do. And I, again, I'm not being political on here, but you know, it may sound political, but that's that's where I, my opinion stands. So um, let's see here. Do I? Do you think there are modifications to the tier system? So it will. I think that they're going to really ease the tier system. I think they're going to modify it under this. I think with a new mayor, you'll have a new vision, and I think the bars will be allowed to open. I think um, there'll be the size limit will have to um, be be eased. I will. I don't think it's going to stick to twenty five. I, I think it's going to be. I think that the mayor is going to throw it out. The new mayor. Um, I really do. Um, especially when numbers start going down throughout the entire United States. Again, I think with the vaccines and the treatments, again, the treatments are so incredible because, again, it's as easy. You, you're infected with COVID and you have some symptoms, go in there and get an IV. You're cured. You're actually cured. That's how easy it is. You don't have to go home, wait for two weeks, just take the IV and it's free. The federal government will pay for it. That's what it's going to be like. So, and there's so many different companies. It's not just Regeneron. That there's like so many companies. The company that I love, Distributive Bio, has a better um, um, synthetic antibody out there that can. They've tested in, it in guinea pigs and hamsters, and and they're testing it in humans right now. It's making its way through the phases. By February or so, it should be you know March, summertime. It's going to be out there too. So you're, you're going to have all these antibodies, all these vaccines out there. You're not going to have to fear getting sick. It is going to be as easy like an antivenom. You get bit by a snake and you have an antivenom. So you don't have to fear that snake anymore. Correct? The same thing. So we should be okay. We should be okay. Um, now, again, last question here. Um, besides group limit size, what other restrictions are there for weddings? Uh, no dancing, no buffet. Okay. Um, the buffets are probably all modified right now. Um, there's probably no buffets. It's probably all going to be served. Uh, but I expect that to change. I expect that to change completely. I think there'll be, there, there'll be dancing available. And you know, to me, you know, to me, it really depends on where you're going to be holding your wedding. If you hold your reception at, um, at a hotel, they'll probably enforce these restrictions if there, if there are any, right? Um, I went to a wedding, you know, I went, I went to a wedding. We just had a wedding and, um, we broke every single rule in the book. <laughs> it's like, there was like, you know, there, there was like, this is what we, right now we can only um, do five people. Oh, we broke every single rule in the book. No one was wearing masks. Everybody's dancing and having fun and nobody got COVID, you know, nobody, no, nobody got COVID, but it was great. It was really great. So it really depends who your wedding planner is, who your venue is. Um, you know, this wedding happened on a private property, so uh, it's all family. 
but um, it wasn't a big wedding, but it was, you know, we're breaking the rules, you know, break, you know, you're only supposed to have five people there. I think we had about 20 something. So, uh, and I, I didn't care. I really don't care. I mean, to be honest, I really don't. I think, I think love is more important than these COVID rules. And that's only my personal opinion. Now, I will abide by any rule that, you know, the couple wants. So if they want people to wear masks and social distance, if they don't want dancing, they want to be no buffet and have everyone in their little bubble, then, yeah, I'll play by those rules. I may not agree with it, but I'll play by it. But, you know, I leave the, those decisions up to that wedding couple. So I think, number one, it has to depend on your venue, where you're going, and also the, your wedding planner. If they're, you know, again, if they're like me and just laid back and don't really care, um, or if they're really a stickler for the rules. So that really depends, okay? So um, those are the, the two questions, the only two questions I have on the Hawaii Wedding Information Group. And uh, hopefully uh, you, you got something out of that, all right? So I'm going to take a break now. And um, I want to talk about, you know, I want to talk about, let's see here, what should I talk about next one? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meditate on that, and I will be right back, okay? I'll be right back. And it's going to take a break, but I'll be right back. Alrighty, here I am for the last segment, and you know what? I think I'm going to talk about photography. Um, so just to let you know a little bit of background with me, funny story here is that a lot of people, they consider me a professional photographer, and I guess I am. Um, I, I still consider myself a professional storyteller, um, even though I write a lot less, but I'm, again, I'm going back into the entertainment industry as a writer, so I am writing a lot more lately, but... Um, you know, the, the art of story applies to photography because that's all you're doing. You're telling a story um, through a different medium. So when it comes to, uh, and you have to understand when it comes to the, the videography, to the, the ministry service, to, to uh, photography, video, everything, the flowers, and even your reception, that is all about, the art of story applies to every single element out there, Okay. The minister has to tell the story of love, how love started, how it began, and then he'll tell the love story of how you folks met, you know, while the photographer would, would decide how to capture that love story, and the videographer would decide how to capture that love story, and then when it comes to your reception, you have your, your friends and family who will tell your love story and probably ridicule you and how you folks met and have fun at it, and then you'll tell their love story about how you folks met again from a different perspective, and but everything is about storytelling really really effective storytelling okay so today we're just going to talk about photography but we're going to talk about it through a storytelling perspective all right because everything again everything in in cinema and tv we're talking when you know M marvel comic universe mcu or pixar movies all the same elements that are applied to movies and cinema making. Um, when I write a script and everything, everything they're all applied to your wedding. All right. So when you take a look at any vendor, any any vendor at all, the last thing you want to do is make a George Lucas mistake, where you have effects dictate over story. Okay. So again. You know, what, what George Lucas did, he says, well, wouldn't it be cool to have this animal here and this animal here in his, in his re-release of Star Wars? And it didn't make even fit the story, right? That's what you don't want to do with your wedding. Everything has to tell the story of you 
and your husband or your girlfriend or whatever it is, everything, right? You folks, you know, so always take that into mind. Now, when it comes to photography, you want to take a look at photos, right? They're very, very simple rules of photography, first of all, when you take a look to picking a wedding vendor, all right? Now, we're going to just talk about specifically photography as a wedding vendor. And number one, you have to take a look at the portfolio and you want to look to make sure they know how to tell a story. Now, make sure when you look at, you want to take a look at every aspect of the wedding, the ceremony and the pictures after. Are they telling a story? That's really it. Am I seeing a chronological story of the wedding? And then you don't, you just don't want to take one wedding. You want to take a look at three, three, four, maybe even 20 of them, right? As much as you can see. And you want to make sure that this photographer captures those moments of those weddings. Is he in the right place for the vows? When they're being said, is he in the right place, right? Is he or her in the right place when the rings are being exchanged, right? Is he in the right place when the first kiss happens? Now, if it's different in every, if, if he's in a different place where, where like, say, for example, he's close up in, in one wedding for the, for the first kiss and he's far off to the right in another, or he's really, really far off into another in, in the third wedding, that means this guy doesn't know story and he's just shooting it. He has no idea when the first kiss is going to happen. He's just shooting. He's just shooting stuff that happens. So you have to make sure that does he know how to photograph with the story of your wedding? And you have to look for continuity. Okay, so you look and say, wow, that's a great shot of the vows, like he's catching him, cr- catching the bride crying. Well, is he capturing the bride crying in the other pictures too, in the same angle? Now, it may look like a repeat shot, like, you know, things are going through a conveyor belt, but things like that, like in Hollywood, they're like that. Things are exactly the same. The story just changes, all right? Okay, now, now the other thing too, the, um, photography specifically, we can get, get caught up in special effects. You can really, really get caught up in special effects. Um, don't let that distract you from what's important, okay? So what is important, again, we'll look at the frame. Background dictates foreground, okay? So are there people in the background of a photograph? Did that photographer take the time to Photoshop them out? Because again, this wedding is supposed to be a secluded beach or anything like that. And the, and the people in the background sunbathing detracts from the story. Okay? This is not about you and your husband or your girlfriend and those people in the bikini in the back. Right? Photoshop them out. It's really easy on photographs. Did he take the extra time to photograph that out? Or to Photoshop that out? To fix the story? It's really that easy. Okay? Did they, is there a building in the background that maybe he could have, you know, cropped a different way, moved a different angle, and, or could he have photoshopped it out, right? A simple thing like that, right? And, and be very careful about these, these, these types of things. You know, these, these are very, very important aspects of it, right? Background dictates foreground. One of the, one of the main things, my, my main thing is that you, don't, you make sure that there's no trees or light posts coming out of your head. I see so many photographers, they think they're so great. And there's a damn light pole coming out of the bride's head. Now, he didn't even Photoshop that out. Now, you can Photoshop that crap out, but he didn't even bother. So it's this nice, great black and white photo. It's so emotional. You're thinking, oh, it's so great. And a damn like tree coming out of her head. She looks like a Rudolph with the reindeers. So again, 
these are things you need to look at. And is that photographer aware enough to fix it, right? So look at all their photos, right? Again, look for reindeer things like, you know, again, like, you know, trees coming out of the bride's head or groom's head. Look, look for background things in there. Make sure you have a clean background. Um, and then um, there's also another thing, too, which I also say, you know, t- take a look at their use of lighting. Um, it's very difficult to shoot into the sun, extremely difficult to shoot into the sun. Uh, it takes a photographer knowledge of the balancing the flash power and, and, and uh, with, with, the, with the power of the backlight of the sun. Um, is that backlight just washed out? So you're shooting into the sun and the photographer has no idea how to use a flash. So that background with that, with that perfect, nice golden sunset is just white. It's just white. And you look like you have this kind of, you know, a lot of photographers, again, they just buy a camera at Costco and they've never, they've never even, because technology has gotten to a point where you could, you could just, you could just point and shoot. Um, they, they just, they just do their own stuff. <laughs> they just point and shoot and they, they, they say, oh, this is a feel they're making, right? It's, it looks, it doesn't look like a regular commercial photo, photo, but you remember that day you had a wedding, you had a nice sunset. Huge, the nice sunset, right? Golden, red, red skies. They weren't able to capture it because they did not know how to use a flash. So look for flash photography. Now, here's the thing with flash photography. You won't know that you're using flash photography. It'll, it'll just look normal to you. And that's when you know, you said, wow, this guy's shooting into the sun. And it looks cool. It looks really, really cool. You know, because it looks like it's almost fake in a way. But I can't tell if he's using a flash or not. So that's when you can tell this photographer really knows what he's doing, okay? So, that, so those are the main things you want to look for. Now, let's go down to the business side of things. You know, wedding photographers really overvalue themselves. I have a rate of $250 per hour, and that may sound like a lot, but it's actually not a lot. They have photographers charging $5,000, $7,000 for a day's work. Now, we'll go back in the movie industry cinematographers who work on movie sets don't get paid that much. They don't. They don't get paid five to seven grand a day. That just doesn't happen. Okay, I don't care if it comes with wedding albums or anything. They're not worth that. They're saying they're worth more than a cinematographer. Even at 250 an hour, I'm getting paid almost equivalent of the top cinematographer in Hollywood. Could you imagine that? That's like really, really high. Really, really high. Now, most of my weddings only last about an hour and a half, so you know, you know you're only char- I'm only charging them you know about you know you know about three hundred four hundred dollars five hundred dollars for for some photography very affordable but I'm still getting paid I'm happy making that money for the, that little short time I'm spending with them on the beach these are these other photographers they charge so much money and then they say oh they're so poor and they, they try to validate it they're saying oh it takes this much for insurance and this much for this and I I've read all their blogs about, about how much expenses they have to buy equipment. It's all baloney. It's all baloney. Don't, don't believe that for a second. It, you know, you can shoot r- really good photos. I use a snapshot camera, by the way, a point and shoot. You don't need this gigantic DSLR with like all different, d- different prime lenses anymore. You don't need all those different lightings anymore. You can go with a cheap, a cheap light. The light on top of my snapshot camera is a $30, $30 flash made in China. Or over on Amazon. My total equipment cost is probably about 800 bucks. That's it. And if you look at my photos, they're pretty darn good. You know, I would say I'm up there with the top, if not the best. So uh, I know that may sound a little, little, a little big-headed, but I'm up there at the top. All right? I'm up there. I'm really up there at the top. 
So, so again, don't believe what they're saying. Now, here's my major thing with photographers. Watch out for the upsell. They may promise you on a small package, like 500, oh, we're going to give you uh, this cheap package that may cost $500 or $1,000. Well, then when it comes around after your wedding day, they'll try to upsell you on crap. We're talking like after your wedding day where you waited for the photos, you're so happy, you're so happy to get all of them. And they'll say, oh, well, I got all of these other photos. You only paid for 25. You choose your 25, but guess what? I have 500 more. And these 500 more, they look really good, but these are your memories. Now they're going to hold it hostage to you, right? They'll say, well, for these other 475 photos that you have, um, it's going to cost you $1,000, $2,000 more. Really? That's not very honest. I mean, what the hell? I mean, really? I mean, this stuff is what pisses me off. And this is the reason why I wanted to make that instructional video because there's so much corruption in the wedding industry, right? So, and here I am talking about you, educating you now. So I I guess I'm getting my wish right here, right? So this goes on into so many wedding vendors. It's almost, it happens so often they have seminars on this on how to upsell the bride on wedding albums, enlargements and all that. And they get to keep the so-called rights. And if you want the rights, you got to pay more for it for them to sign a piece of paper. It's all BS. It's all a bunch of crap. Just a bunch of crap. All right. So by the time you end up like, you know, paying for like a 500 or 100, you thought you were going to pay 500 to a thousand dollars for a photography session. You end up paying, you know, a couple thousand more, maybe 3000 more. It's not very honest. Oh, yeah, I can go on and on for this. It pisses me off. Okay, so watch out for the upsell. Watch that contract. Know that, you know, you know, negotiate with them. You know, tell them you want this and nothing more. No upsell. You want as much as you can, okay? And I'll tell you what, there's so much photographers now because all these photographers, they're, they're, they're going into the industry. They have no idea what exposure is, proper exposure. They have none whatsoever. They're so stupid in it. They shoot on auto most of the time. And um, they have no idea how to use a light meter. And uh, there's so much competition that they will be able to negotiate. So if you like one of their styles out there, they will, they will um, be more than willing to negotiate because they just can't separate themselves from the competition. They, and they all look the same. I'll be completely honest with you. They all look, they all look completely the same. I look much, my work looks a lot different from them. Okay. Now, we'll go on to another part of it. Uh, Look in their photos and look at the posing of the bride and groom. Uh, this is something that's very uh, a stickler of mine. Uh, when I started to learn photography, um, I learned from a, one of the top Taiwanese photographers. He, was, he ended up being my friend who I met at a party. Um, but he, he taught me how to, how to take photos. And I only learned it back then when I had Canoe Girl Productions because... Nobody else wanted to learn his Kung Fu way. Now, he's from Taiwan now, right? And he told me, Steve, I only want you to shoot on a disposable camera for two years before you even touch an SLR. Those SLR are those big cameras. Now they call it DSLR because they're digital. So I was the only one who said, okay, fine, I'll do it. His name is Wei Jin. You know, I'll plug his name on there. This guy can shoot circles around me, by the, by the way. So all the time, I had, to, I had to learn how to do the lighting and everything. And I was using those little snapshot camera film cameras, the ones that you disposable ones, the one you wind up. Remember those? So again, and I had to, I had to make good quality with, with, those, with that snapshot camera. It took two years to do it. Now, here's the thing. It taught me everything. And one of the major things that he would, he would teach us is that 
uh, or, or teach me is that there was a girl, we had a model, because my com- canoe girl was actually a modeling company as well. And we would have to go through, she would not be able to move for me. I would have to tell her 36 new poses and I have to shoot them within a minute and, and a chair. So 36 new poses, one after another, bam, 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 right? And I would have to do that. Every pose would have to be perfect and I have to be drilled into my brain. And, um, and I have to do two rows like that, perfect. And it took me a while. It took me about a couple of years to get up to that level where I knew poses and poses and poses to make that girl look good. And again, we were working with models. So models <laughs> they have like 23 good angles because they're so skinny, right? And um, it was a lot easier, right? But I tell you what, when you start working with regular people, they don't have those 23 angles. I'll be honest, they don't have as many good angles as a model. There's a reason why they're a professional model. So, you know, it, 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 when, I, when I transferred into the wedding industry, now we're shooting regular people, and, uh, but it helped. Now, where is this? Where am I getting at? Posing is so important when it comes to fo- photography. It's called direction. In movies, you call it direction. There's, there's a thing. Brides want their waist, most of them. They want to, their waist, they want skinny as possible, and their arms, they don't want it to look fat. Okay, and there's ways to pose brides so those two things don't happen. Now it helps that if they're not fat or they're not, or if they're not bigger. I'll use a better term, right? And their arms are not, you know, they don't have flab on top of them. But there's so many poses that can work to their advantage, or where we could pose it so we can Photoshop them later, so we can squeeze it easier without distorting the background. And again, if you're, you know, if a if a bride is more, you know. A round oval shape like a barrel then it gets a little more difficult we can't i can't pose them as much because again there's not many as good angles or as as skinny angles like i like to call it right sorry if i'm not being politically correct but you have to move them in the, like a pretzel in a certain ways you know accentuate their legs you know make their legs as long as possible make sure their shoulders are back or everything and sometimes it makes them look stiff but overall it makes them look great right? And to make it look natural. Now, sometimes you can't make it look as natural as possible. And uh, that's where we kind of fall. You know, we try to, you know, that's where the skill lies. But take a look. When you take a look at these photos, ask yourself if this photographer understands posing. Is he flattering those girls' arms? Or is he only showing you pictures of models? Girls who have like thin arms, thin waist, you know, thin thighs. Because I'll tell you what, you know, there are angles that can get rid of that. And there are Photoshop ways to get rid of those things, right? So look at those things because it counts. And don't fall for this trap where they say, oh, they don't like to post people because they want it to be more photojournalistic. When they say that, it's a bunch, it's a, it's a cop-out because they don't know the first thing about posing. They don't know the first thing on how to make a girl look their best. It's like makeup. You have to know how to make that girl look best with makeup. And so we have to know the good angles of that girl or that face because everybody has good angles and bad angles. Even models, models do, right? So we want to make sure that when we pose them, because certain, angle, certain lenses distort, that they don't make their feet look big. I've seen so many pictures. They use a wide-angle lens, the really rectangular wide-angle lens, and it distorts the feet. So the bride ends up looking like she has big feet, like huge feet, huge, huge feet. And again, 
the photographer doesn't fix it. You can fix it in Photoshop. You can just have to, you just gotta squeeze the bottom of the picture. So her feet don't look as good or even better, look at it in your lens when you're taking the photo and don't move them to that part of the, of the lens. It's really that easy. So again, it's that carefulness that I'm looking for, right? Again, you know, the posing, do they know it? And, so, and there's all different tricks on how to make it look more natural. And, and, and some of them are, and, and you know, some couples will look more stiff than others, you know, so you can't get away from that. But a lot of them, and there's all different tricks where you'll say, okay, one, two, three, okay, boom. And you shoot one picture, and then, the, and then the after that, they laugh, they relax, and you shoot another one after that. And those are the ones that come out good. The ones where they're, they were in a pose and then they were out of a pose naturally. Or they're, or they're just talking to each other. But they're, in, they're still in the pose and they're talking. They're still holding hands. You got, you got the good angle. Everyone looks skinny. The groom looks tall. His shoulders look wide, right? But they're just talking and being natural. And then those are the, those are the ones that come out great. So you, there's all different tricks on how to do it. But does your photographer understand that? And you can kind of see it in the photos, okay? All right. So lastly... Lastly, now I kind of got off on a tangent there. What should you expect on the down payment? Um, I like it when the photographer asks for 50%. A little self-projection on my part because that's my rule. But 50% means that both people have some skin in the game. And we're talking that that bride will actually say, well, I put 50% down. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to like bail out on you. And that, and that, um, that, uh, that, that photographer has some skin in the game too. So he says he put 50% down and he's not going to go bail out on you because he is tied to a contract. When it's $100, you know, some of these photographers say, you book me for this and it's $100. Why is it so cheap to book you? Why is it so cheap? Don't you have some confidence in your work, right? You know, where is that confidence? Where is it, right? So whenever I see a down payment, I'm looking at, and most of the time, those photographers, they're crappy. They're really, really, really crappy. Okay. So uh, look for that. Look for that. And um, no upsells. Um, And uh, that portfolio, really take a look at it. Oh, one more thing before I talk, before I leave here, um, which I'm about about to. uh, The flash. Flash photography is really important. If if a photographer um, can shoot with a flash really well, he can shoot good pictures, period. And one way to look at flash photography is that look, you look at the shadow first. Um, there are some shadows that flashes will not be able to get rid of, and there are many flashes that it can. And for the most part, you know, you rarely have the perfect lighting. So you have to interject artificial lighting to get that nice flash around your skin, that nice even lighting, right, that paints your jaw, paints your bridge of your nose, um, gets rid of the raccoon eyes, gets rid of the wrinkles, right? So you want to have a, a really, you know, and then with that, you can actually take programs and put a modeling light on the computer programs and actually kind of manipulate the light to make, to make it look like you even have more lights on top of there. But it, you have to start with a good flash, a good, a good, a good um, foundation. That's what I was looking for. So, Look at the lighting on a person on the bride's face, the groom's face. Is it nice and even? Is it or is there shadows going all through there? Is it where there's shadows just cutting across their face and only the tip of their nose is lit? You know, a photographer will like know that the face at least has to look good. Okay, so they'll fill that with flash, and a lot of times flash will be 
you know, not necessarily the main light, the sunlight would be it, but then that flash will fill in all the shadows. So it would make it look like what your naked eye sees because what your naked eye sees is incredible. The camera doesn't see as good as, <laughs> the, the camera does not even see as good as your eye. And, you know, when you take a picture on your cell phone, you know, that's when you, you can see that, you know, your cell phone is not even close to as good as your eye, right? So, uh, yeah, and uh, anyway... That's the end of the, my, my thing about the photography. So uh, I'm kind of like um, ready to go eat here. And uh, this is the end of Wedding Wednesdays. I hope you enjoyed it. Wow, I have been talking for a long time. Now, if you like this, uh, you can subscribe to it. Uh, I do, on my other days, I talk about barbecue, movies, and politics. Um, I am a conservative. So if you don't like conservative talk, then it's probably not for you. Just warning you, but um, I am like completely, you know, open to talking about anything. On Saturdays, I call it Screenwriting Saturdays, and I talk about you know the art of story, and uh, I apply this to uh, right now. I am creating a storytelling, uh, I guess, instructional thing, which is going to be free, um, and I talk about personalities and go into all different things on how to write the right, how to write the perfect characters and everything. So if you are an aspiring novelist or a writer or someone like that, um, that may interest you. So I call it Screenwriting Saturdays. So I have Wedding Wednesdays and Screenwriting Saturdays. And then everything else is Barbecue 2 Movies, all right? So, and you can find me on um, Google Podcast or Spotify. Just put, like, uh, Barbecue 2 Movies, and it'll pop up right there. Okay, so thank you so much for your time. I'll talk to you later. Next time, hopefully, we get more questions, and I can talk more. And that is it. Talk to you then.